legends are interesting because they do morph over time and they're designed to both teach and sometimes tweak each other as human beings. So for example, there's a legend that developed in the 1930s, maybe 1940s. I think it probably was devised by Protestants because it's set in the country of Ireland. And this particular legend goes like this. Uh, there once was a Protestant woman living in a Catholic community in Ireland, and there's only one cemetery in town. It's a Catholic cemetery. And when this woman, who is much beloved in her community, finally dies, they don't know where to bury her because she's not Catholic and can't be buried in the cemetery. But the community owns the land around the cemetery, and they own the fence around the cemetery. So what do they do? They bury her right next to the fence on the outside, and then because the graves of the dead can't be desecrated, she can't be moved from that spot, so they then move the fence so that suddenly her grave is included in the cemetery, and so the community includes her even when she might otherwise have been excluded. It's a really cool story of inclusion, but also a little tweak maybe by the Protestant community community at the Catholic community. Now, what's interesting about that legend is if you kind of follow it, it morphs in a variety of directions. Uh, so for example, in one telling of the story, it's a priest who moves the fence. And in another telling of the story, the, the, the religious bodies are reversed. And it's actually a Catholic who's buried outside a Protestant cemetery. And, and so these legends evolved. And, and the main thing is one of inclusion. But the kind of the little, the backside of the story is, is perhaps to tweak a different group. This is the stuff that legends are made of in our lives, but it reflects what goes on in our world all the time. So example, something like this actually does go on in real life. Uh, in the Netherlands, there is a cemetery where uh, the, the Catholics and the Protestants are buried in the same cemetery, but there's a 10-foot high brick wall that runs down the middle of the cemetery. Catholics on one side, Protestants on the other. Of course, in that community, there was a Catholic woman and a Protestant man who were married to each other. They made it work. But then he dies, and he's buried in his family plot on the Protestant side of the cemetery right next to the wall. When the woman dies, when the Catholic woman dies, she leaves instructions and resources not to be buried with her family because they were away from the wall. She buys the plot right next to the wall across from where her husband is buried so that even though the wall still separates them in eternity, at least they're close to each other. True story, and that's not the end of that story. We'll come back to that in a little bit. I think it just gets at the truth that uh, it's hard for us human beings to include each other. It, it just is. Uh, we're kind of tribal in many respects. In other words, we, we like to belong to certain groups. And, and it takes something to get into those groups. So, so think of the initiation rituals for getting into a faith community, for getting into the military, for getting into a labor union, for getting into a country club, uh, for getting into a fraternity or a sorority. We have all of these, these groups and organizations that we're a part of in life. And when you belong to it, it gives you a sense of identity and a sense of protection. But the downside is frequently one looks at suspicion or with judgment or with outright fear or hostility to groups that are on the outside. We human beings are kind of tribal. It's actually hard for us to include everyone. 
Fortunately, however, we're not just limited to our genes and our humanity. The very first chapter of the Bible reminds us that we're made in the image of God. And Jesus spends his ministry reminding us not only that we are made in the image of God, but we are, in fact, very capable of treating our neighbors as we ourselves long to be treated. And our neighbors are not subject to our definition. Our task is just to be a neighbor to everyone we meet along the way. This is hard, but we are capable of it. It is the essence of Jesus' ministry and our calling. And it gets us to today's gospel lesson and everything that comes along with it. So last week we started this gospel lesson and Pastor Sherry preached about it. And and we were uh, taken back to a world uh, in in Galilee. And, And the people of Galilee... Uh, we're, we're poor for the most part and, and, and farming communities, and so Jesus is going to go back to his hometown of Nazareth. And, and people there would have, would, have, would have certainly had had a tight community, and the people beyond them that they would have been suspicious of would have been people like the Romans who control the world, and even, even their fellow Jews in, in Jerusalem who are more educated and influent and who probably, in their opinion, looked down on them. Think of in the Gospel of John when one of the disciples asks, what good can come out of, of Nazareth? What good can come out of Galilee? There was this sense that, that the people of Galilee, and the especially of a little place like Nazareth, uh, were were kind of second-class citizens. So they've probably got a little chip on their shoulder. But Jesus, he does well. He does really well in the nearby big city of Capernaum, and now he comes home, uh, comes home to his hometown. And what we read last week was they hand him the scroll of the prophet Isaiah, and he reads from it, and he reads a portion of Isaiah 61, uh, the Spirit of the Lord is upon me to bring good news to the oppressed and, and to bind up the brokenhearted and bring liberty to the captives and, and, and to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. And then he stops, which is significant, and he sits down, which is also significant. And that's kind of where we left the story last week. So now the significance of those two things. Where he stops is significant because the very next line is that to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor, and then that's amplified by the next line, which reads, and, and, and to the year of vengeance for our God. And so that's the part that Jesus drops out. Uh, he's come to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor when, when the people who are pushed down are lifted up, people like his own hometown. But, but there's no role of, of vengeance in any of that. So it's important where he stops and it's important that he sits down because in our world, uh, the preacher stands and you, the audience, sit, right? Uh, But in that world, the the rabbi sat while teaching and the audience stood. So Jesus sits down to teach and everyone's listening to him. And the first thing he says then, today this scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. And all those people in Nazareth would have been thinking, wow, he has come. He has come to heal us, and he has come to be on our side, and maybe he's finally going to even the scales with the Romans and those people who have put us down, even from Jerusalem. There's going to be a little vengeance, or at least balancing of of long-held grudges. But Jesus is not there to fulfill that part of their imagination, and instead he proceeds to say, 
I know you might say to me, why don't you do here what you've done in Capernaum, but I say to you that, that your great prophets, Elijah and Elijah, you know, there were plenty of lepers and widows for them to help, but they actually helped people outside of our own community. In other words, he wasn't going to be their miracle worker, and he wasn't there to get vengeance on their enemies or perceived enemies. And what's the people's response to that? They are enraged. And they take him out to the edge of town to throw him off the cliff, but he passes through them and goes on to the next village. What are we to make of this story? Jesus is constantly welcoming and inviting in his ministry. But it doesn't mean that he avoids conflict. And in fact, there are three groups that he goes after consistently in the Gospels. The first is the Pharisees, lay people who were hyper-religious and, and were, were both super confident because of their own righteousness and super judgmental to those who weren't as perfect as they were. Jesus says, come on. You know, the, you know, the law which you keep so well was given to us as a gift, and so it's awesome that you live up to it, but don't use it as something to club the people who aren't as, who aren't as faithful as you seemingly are. Uh, tone down your self-righteousness, O Pharisees. So he goes after them, and, and he goes after his own community because they, they want him to be just for them, and Jesus will not be hoarded uh, by one community or one group of people. So he goes after the Pharisees, goes after his own community in today's gospel. Who else does he go after? He goes after the 12 people who are representative of you and I, and we should never kind of fail to notice that. He goes after his disciples a lot because, because it's really hard for them to understand Jesus' instinct to include. Think of all the times they don't. Think of the, of the blind man sitting by the road uh, yelling out, Son of David, have mercy on me. And they shush him and, and, and want to push him away from Jesus' attention. Think of when the parents bring their children to Jesus. The disciples shush them and want to push them away. Think of when Jesus is talking to the Samaritan woman at the well and the disciples show up and they are literally in the Greek shocked that Jesus is talking to them. Think of the time when, the, when someone is healing in Jesus' name and the disciples say to Jesus, you've got to stop him because he's not one of us. And Jesus says, hey, if he's not against us, he's for us and he doesn't stop them. Most of all, in this gospel that we read through this year, just in five chapters out in chapter 9, the disciples and Jesus are going to be turned away. They're going to be rejected from a Samaritan community. And the disciples say, Jesus, should we like bring down fire from heaven on them? To which Jesus doesn't even say anything. He just keeps walking to the next place. He has no part in settling scores or in wreaking vengeance. So Jesus goes after the Pharisees. He goes after his hometown. But most of all, he goes after you and I, his disciples, because we all need these reminders that we have a tendency to put up walls in life and live in our various bubbles in life. And, and we want all sorts of scores to be evened in life. And Jesus says, I, I get that. I get that we're all a tribal people. But you are made in the image of God. And you can be so much more than that together. That's why I've given Given you my spirit. And so this then becomes who we can be, right? Uh, number one, a welcoming and inviting people. Uh, uh, people who listen to that parable Jesus tells of how there's a, a wedding banquet and all the people who are invited don't show up. And so then the, the father of the groom just says, well, to his servants, let's go out into the highways and byways and start inviting people in. 
This is who we can be as a faith community, always open. Maybe, maybe one little symbol for that right now, and, and if you're watching online and haven't been in our sanctuary lately, is, is we're, we're right now still going with every other pew seating. Uh, every other pew is marked off, and so people don't sit in it, and then people are in the other pews. And, you know, that's imperfect. That's part of COVID. But, but one part of that that I kind of like is it, it means everybody who comes here right now sits in their pew, which means the pew in front of them is open to put their baggage in. All the baggage we carry in life. You know, I think sometimes people feel like I, I can't come to church because I'm, I'm not perfect. Uh, that's the reason to come. We all have baggage. We all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And, and, and so this is the place we should bring that to. And, and you just set it down. And, and, you, and you realize that everybody who's traveling with you has come to this place because they've got stuff that they just have to stop carrying and put down. It's an awesome place to belong to, and it's an even better place to welcome people to, whoever comes through those doors. And so part of our task is to do that. And then and the other part of our task is, is to recognize that, that Jesus is the one who prays for his enemies from his cross. He's the one who says, return good in the face of evil. In other words, uh, he stopped reading where he did in Isaiah for a reason. Vengeance isn't a part of his deal. And so frequently, I think, when, when we've kind of been pushed down uh, and, and then we kind of get free of that, we want to even those scales. Uh, it's such a human thing. Jesus lifts us to the next level where, where you let that go and, and you move on and you even get to the point where those who have pushed you down are still someone that you have the spiritual courage uh, to, to bring back into the community. And there's a lot of complexity to that. Uh, a lot of things that are different in individual situations. But, but the basic attitude of it's not on us to even the scales is a very freeing one, I think. So now you're going to see a picture on your screen. Remember I talked about that 10-foot wall in the cemetery in the Netherlands that divided the, the Protestant and Catholic parts of it. So it's interesting, before this couple died, um, uh, they set aside resources to build monuments at each of their graves. How tall do you think those monuments are? The wall's 10 feet high. The monuments are 12 feet high. And at the top of those monuments is a little sculpture, which you can see, of two hands that are holding on to each other across the wall. It is this beautiful statement by this couple that we made our differences work and our strength, and no 10-foot wall is going to separate us in eternity and inspire you to reach across the wall instead of keeping it there in life. It's a cool little reminder and a cool little witness that reaches out to each one of us and says, leave those legends behind about all the differences and incorporate the ones that remind us of our togetherness. Hey, people of God, Jesus came to his hometown a long time ago, and, and they wanted him just to themselves. And, and we're told at the end, when, when, they wanted to, when they wanted to kill him, he passed through their midst and kept going down the road of life. In other words, as he does throughout the Gospels, he passes through death into life. Think of what happens the first Easter night. 
The disciples are behind walls, right, and locked doors. They are enveloped in death. And what does Jesus do then? He just passes through those walls and brings them back to life. Don't be afraid. Most of the time in life, isn't it true, when we talk about somebody as just passing through, it it, it means they aren't really a part of us and, and they're moving on. With Jesus, it's just the opposite. When he passes through something, it is from death into the fullness of life, which each of us can hold on to, aspire to, and be. Jesus, he's just passing through. Thanks be to God. Hey.